Hello and welcome to the weekend update. It's Friday the 3rd of March 2023. It's a quite a cold Glasgow, um, Cambus Lang. Uh, I am here and we're going to talk through lots of stuff um, with uh, the wonderful Claire Wild. Hello Claire, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. It's lovely to have you on the weekend update as always. Uh, let me just give you a rundown on what we're you going to... You say t- as always. I've not been on it before. You have once. Once maybe. you've been on once. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like the lunch club as well. You've been on the lunch club, and <laughs> there's kind of a kind of crossover between the lunch club and the weekend update. Uh, yes, but lunch club's more seasonal, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's great to have you here. Of course, um, what we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to get you primed and ready for the weekend ahead. It's been a genuinely incredible week for uh, Celtic uh, men's and women's and we're going to certainly talk about the huge game of football for the women's team coming up. Um, We'll touch on some news. Uh, We've got a fantastic preview with uh, Graham and Christian. I've been kind of unwell this week so um, the thought of recording with Christian uh, filled me with dread. I'm joking, of course. Um, my, my throat uh, wasn't hang, um, holding out yesterday, so uh, Graham stepped in for me. So we're going to get the St Mirren uh, point of view with um, or the opposition analysis, I should say, with um, Graham and Christian. That'll be coming up. We don't have a St Mirren point of view due to the fact we've had uh, Mark from Misery Hunters, um, who's a, a good friend of the show. Um, he's been on twice over the last kind of a couple of months. So, and there's not much has really changed with uh, St. Mirren uh, from that perspective. So we've got um, Graham and Christian will give um, the opposition analysis, everything you need to know about the St. Mirren game. Um, but firstly, how are you, Claire? How are things? I'm very well. Thank you very much. I'm happy that it's Friday. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, great stuff. Um, obviously, we've been covering the, the League Cup final victory, which was uh, fantastic. Um, you know, we, we can't really talk about it enough, to be fair. No. Um, but also, last weekend, and this was covered uh, in detail on the Celtic Women's Football Show, which uh, was available from Wednesday, which was yourself and Lorenzo Pacitti. Fantastic. Loved listening to that. Um, but for people who haven't had the chance to listen to that uh, yet at this point, um, give us a little kind of thoughts on smashing Rangers in the Scottish Women's Premier League. Oh, I mean, how do I sum it up in a short soundbite? It was, it was exquisite. It was so good. So going into that game on Friday, <clears throat> really nervous. You know, they're a team that have been unbeaten for a really, really long time. Um, we've struggled against them last time we played them away at Broadwood. It ended a nil-nil draw and one of our key players got injured and it just all round not ideal. But going in, the atmosphere was incredible. You were with me and we were, I was panicking as we went in, wasn't I? Because yeah. I'm not used to it being that busy. And I was like, you were going, we've got loads of time. I was like, we haven't got loads of time. Yeah. Um, so, so many people in the stands, so much noise, three goals. I mean, three goals as well. We didn't just beat them, we beat them. Yeah, smashed them. Um, you know, as I say, you can go and listen to the Celtic Women's Football Show for more detail on that. But it was a just a fantastic uh, weekend of football from a Celtic point of view. Um, so, yeah. Long I have re- to say, it also put me in a very positive frame of mind for the game on the Sunday, which I think I was watching it with Paul Cullen and I think it annoyed him because <laughs> I kept saying, it's going to be fine. I was full of confidence based on Friday for some, even though they have absolutely nothing to do with one another. Yeah, Paul Carlin is uh, your eternal pessimist, so um, I'm sure he he's one of those uh, folk when it comes to kind of predicting football matches and stuff. Um, just he kind of enjoys the kind of the the yeah. 
the he thought I was jinxing it, which I can understand. He's a lovely person, though, um, allegedly. Uh, we also, listen, we have to say that there's a, an article on the website um, uh, as we, we, we're producing articles on, on a regular basis, so you should check out the writing section of the website if you've not kind of uh, seen it already. There should be an email in your um, uh, inbox. But um, it's our good friend Alan Edgar. He takes a look at the 2001 mid-season trip to Florida and some of the unique Celtic connections on the field. Martin O'Neill's Celtic in the Sunshine State. I read it this morning, the first first thing when I got up, and uh, a joy. It took me back in time. Um, It's not a time you'll be familiar with, Claire, but um, a joyous time indeed. Yes. Um, right, okay, let's uh, let's kind of go over some of the news. Um, there isn't a great deal of news. We, we covered um, some of it on the, the weekly. Um, but Celtic winger Lee Elabada reveals he has been studying old videos of coach Harry Kuehl in action to help improve his attacking play. Um, here's some of the quotes. Uh, I didn't watch Harry as I was still too young. Um, I don't remember that. I watched videos after I met him and he was very, very good and had an amazing career. It is a pleasure for me to learn from this player. (laughs) Just work hard and is very good. He looks after us. I think we can learn a lot from him because he played in the Premier League and had an amazing career. He teaches us a lot lot about football because we are the young players and want to get better all the time. It's very important for us that, that he looks after us. I feel I am a better player than I was last season, to be honest. I think I can still learn a lot from the manager and his coaching staff to get even better. Um... Lyle Abada, just kind of highlighting the fact that, you know, he's he's taking uh, kind of coaching tips from a guy who uh, his career peered, peered out a wee bit, I'll be honest, but in his, <laughs> in his heyday, um, you know, he was, uh, I'd say more at Leeds than at Liverpool, just a, a tremendous uh, player. What's your thoughts, Claire? I mean, I, listening to you read out those quotes, which I hadn't heard, it's quite funny because just, I just think... It's good, isn't it, that he's got a coach and he likes the coach and the coach is teaching him to play football better. Yeah. I mean, other than that, that's my thoughts. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's they're very kind of um, kind of innocent, innocent. Like, it's just, I'm watching videos of him. It's like, well, he is there. Yeah. You, don't have, don't have to watch, you don't have to watch videos of him. You can literally just go and ask him some questions. It's nice that they have a good, they clearly have a good relationship and that he has a good relationship with the coaching staff. And it's good that he is talking actively about the ways he wants to improve his game. Yeah, I mean, that is... That. If we're talking broad brushstrokes, but these are quite broad brushstrokes. Um, the Israeli manager came out this week and said, Lee Alabada plays in a team that are the champions of Scotland and, and at least he is in the rotation of the squad it's not as if he has disappeared or does not get on from the bench and his numbers are good too he may not be playing as much as last season but he's still playing maybe his situation is because he didn't want to extend his contract but he is still in the squad i don't like other managers talking about our players whether international or club i don't like them talking about our players i also don't like them talking about their contracts i think it's a it's a bit disrespectful. Um, he signed a five-year contract when we signed him, which was, what, two years ago? So he's got three years left. Uh, Leila Badal, what's your kind of thoughts on him as a player overall? How useful has he been for us? Um, I I like him as a player for us. Uh, I Obviously, coming off the bench, I think he can have a huge impact. I think we worry about him being a starter in especially the big games. Um, I think that's a fairly mainstream view of him. I think the th- stuff with his contract is quite weird because... I don't I'm not really sure why we're talking about it it's it's one of those things that just feels like someone's stirring a pot somehow and it's just coming up in the news for no reason like you said his contract is till 2026 if there's actual interest in someone coming in for him or something at some point during a transfer window then 
okay, but we're not in a transfer window. It's just someone's decided to write a story about, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I, I get that as well. Like, cause the the whole idea of, um, yeah, the, the international manager wants the players to be playing all the time, so it kind of just feels like you know I'm happy, but you know what, I, I'd like him better if he was starting. Uh, and here's his contract situation, and that's why he's not like him saying. Maybe he'll get more starts if he watches more Harry Kill videos. Exactly. Um, what do you make of you know the idea that we might sell him in the summer just because how this squad is being consistently changed and it's been sort of um you know and talked about uh, you know the, the the transfer strategy moving forward would a bad be a big miss for you or what's I, your d- I don't think so i think that um he's a player that if he went it were i think it would be entirely unsurprising in many ways partly because like you said we know that this is a manager and a squad that's going to keep changing that there's sort of a very, <laughs> there's a lack of sentimentality, I think, when it comes to yeah. keeping players and selling players on the part of Ange. And we've, we're also learning as fans to trust the recruitment process in a way that I don't think we've trusted it in the whole time that I've supported Celtic. So I would have confidence that he wouldn't go without us. I don't think at this point we're going to be leaving that spot empty. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, as one goes out, one other will maybe come in even before it. Um, you know, on the weekly, Alan was talking about, you know, watching the kind of pictures of, you know, guys with a kind of trophy and seeing pictures of Rio Hatati and, um, you know, Daisamaida and Kyogo being like the old guard and they've yeah. been in the door. I mean, Hatati's been here, what, a year and a half, not even a year and a half. And same with Maida as well. So it's kind of the consistent changing of the squad to kind of freshen it up and, you know, I think Abada probably will be someone that potentially they'll look at in the summer and say, now, be the t- might, now might be the time to move on. And that's no, you know, disrespect. I, I find him come, I find his form has kind of fallen off quite a bit, quite recently. Um, but he's still got great stats in regards to his goals and, and returns. So, yeah, keep an eye. Um, but managers talking about our players, sharp. <laughs> I know your business. Um, Celtic winger Mikey Johnson has uh, decided to switch allegiance. I always find that weird. Switch allegiance um, <laughs> to the Republic of Ireland um, from uh, Scotland, although he has only played the Scotland up to Scotland under 21. Um, I'm sure the people who don't rate Mikey Johnson will take this very, very well. I'm sure they'll say, that's a young man who has decided to play for another country. That's okay. I'm sure there won't be any negative, nasty, sectarian <laughs> comments or anything. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine as well. Um, poor Mikey Johnson. I think, you know, he's someone who, yeah, I don't know. He really is kind of in limbo in regards to his his, um, his situation at Celtic. Um, but, you know, that, again, as I say, you know, this is something that... You know, it happened with Aidan McGeady, it happened with it's happened with a number of players. Um players that someone like Mikey Johnson, as I say, this shouldn't really be kind of brought up again. It should be like he's made this decision, good for him. Yeah. Well done. But I just have a feeling it will. And it's depressing. But yeah, you just God, need to sort of that put that noise to one side, just ignore it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or face up to the fact that sectarianism exists and hit it head on. 
What's what we mean by hit it head on? <laughs> fine play fine teams for booing Mikey Johnson <laughs> uh, at home and abroad. <laughs> Even if it's just because he's not playing particularly well, uh, fine then. <laughs> But no, great, great stuff for him. I hope he gets a cap because, I, I, you know, I, I like him as a player. I'm not sure I want him back at Celtic, if I'm honest with you. I think a fresh start someone else would be perfect for him. But, um, yeah, good for him. And uh, I hope it is taken in the, the right the right way um, if he ever does kind of play back in Scotland. Which, if he leaves Celtic, I don't think he will. So, um, yeah, good for you. Um, I got a message from my cousin Joe in, in Donegal saying... Um, you know, mentioning it, I, he's not that impressed. I think he described him as a poor man's Aidan McGeady. So I think he's, <laughs> uh, Joe Coyle, not impressed. Um, yeah, great stuff. Uh, we also had uh, just a little bit more news, not a lot of news at the moment. Um, Johosip Josip Juranovic um, had a kind of interview where he was talking about, you know, his move from Celtic to Union Berlin. Um, here's some of the quotes. I had a really good relationship with the fans. I really loved it. It was a tough time to move away, but that's life. I was a little bit sad Celtic didn't try to keep me as a player there, but that's football. You can't know your future. To be honest, I was a little bit surprised because I was playing in the World Cup and preparing for my next game. Some of our friends called me and said they'd signed a new fullback. What's your opinion on that? I was just putting it to one side and concentrating on the World Cup. In my mind, I was thinking we'd have three fullbacks and someone will be on the bench and someone in the stands with their family. I knew I would maybe not play two games in a row and maybe play the third one. I didn't like some of that stuff because of the national team. If you're not playing regularly for your club, you won't get called up for the national team. That's the main reason I left. I spoke with Ange one week before I moved. We always had an honest conversation between us. He's a good coach, a really good coach. Try to keep him. My 18 months there were unbelievable. What can I say about Celtic? It's one true love. Um, He mentions other stuff and some of the players. What's your take on it, Claire? I mean... It feels a little bit contradictory. Like, I'm disappointed they didn't try to harder to keep me, but also it felt like the right time I'm to, to move on. And he wanted to be playing regular football, and he thought he wasn't going to get that at Celtic. So, come on. <laughs> I, I, I think it's you know we're not going to spend too much time on this because I mean people lose their minds uh, with ex Celtic players making comments, which I, you know I understand. I, I do, I do get it because maybe I was one of those people at one point. Um, I think the quotes are a little bit disingenuous. Like, it's like, I wish Celtic had tried harder to keep me sort of thing. And it's like, mm, do, you? do you really? I, I don't really buy that. I think it was kind of clear that, you know, if you look at Juranovic's kind of career progression, he's had a lot of clubs over the last couple of weeks. And those clubs have, in regards to what you would, I don't know, what if you want to call it kind of status, they've kind of consistently went up. And he was playing in Scotland, maybe didn't rate the league um and wants to go to the Bundesliga. I completely understand his his position. He's never going to play for a bigger club than Celtic. Um, I don't. It doesn't bother me that much, but they do. See, it does seem a little disingenuous. You're always going to get these contradictory remarks from players leaving Celtic. I think because Celtic has this unique position of being a huge club with a fan base that's extraordinary, and people talk about it, and the atmosphere in the stadium and everything. Yet we're playing in a league that is rated lower than other leagues in Europe, where players might not be getting the European football that they are after playing at the level that they want to play in terms of opposition. So it's kind of, there's there's two things going on at one time. So they're going to love the fact that they're at the club and they love the club and the culture of the club, which is what we all do. But for their career, it might not be the right thing. And yeah, what I what I also love is like the club aren't going to come out with a statement saying Joseph Juranovic's uh, points of view are not fact, blah blah blah. So um, 
he's kind of he's got anyway. a, he's got he's got a home run here from his boy. But, but no, it I doesn't. You know, it doesn't change my. Also, he clearly loves Celtic, and that's fine. Happy. Yeah, aye, I, it doesn't change my perspective on him. Um, and and for him, but little disingenuous if I'm honest with you. Um, <laughs> the final kind of point of news we've got: uh, Celtic's ownership structure leaves them vulnerable to a Qatari takeover. Uh, David Lowe, uh, Fergus McCann's former advisor, we've got a huge interview with him, video and audio that I never get round to putting up. Um, myself, Brian, uh, and uh, Louis and, and Boud did a sort of documentary thing. Um, maybe we should put it up. <laughs> We've had it for years. Um, so I'm, I'm Might be a bit out of date, babe. Yeah, exactly. But what we're going to do is um, we're, there's going to be a, a relaunching um, of the biscuit tin. Um, and uh, we've basically we've been in plans to kind of relaunch it and reboot it. I know I've mentioned that a few times, but we've not had a Biscuit Tin episode. But we're going to kind of tackle a lot of this stuff. So look out for that. We'll tackle all this idea. We'll talk about um, different football and um, kind of structures in regards to finance. We'll talk about women's football. Hopefully get your perspective on that, Claire. Um, we'll talk about the English behemoth. We'll talk about lots of different things about, you know, different models and stuff. Uh, Ian Dugan and uh, Martin Friel, um, they are, we're, we're, we're percolating plans so um the disc biscuit tin will be back it will be rebooted and um yeah i'm looking forward to that so yeah that's all the news we have currently um so let's say uh, let's get the tactical analysis opposition report from our good friends graham mckay and christian wolf <laughs> they said it could never be done but here we are christian looking forward to something instead of looking back at something. A, a preview. Exactly. A preview. Yeah. If you, a preview. If you, a preview, yeah. It's an unexpected pleasure on a, on a Thursday night. It's usually, we're usually Monday nighted, uh, but I mean, it's always the weekend. Who knows? What might happen here? I mean, if you work a four-day week like me, this is the weekend, so does that. Four-day week, four-hour day. It's uh, that's the, the life in German academia, I've heard. Exa- so. Ex- exactly. So we're coming up against St. Mun again. And it feels, Christian, like me and you have been speaking about Celtic and St. Mun for the last 17 years. Yes. Uh, we've played them quite a lot this season, obviously having gotten them in the cup as well. We have seen plenty of them. They've seen plenty of us. They don't seem to change much about how they set up. Um You've got them down as being a 3-5-2 against uh, Plankton, like uh, St. Uh, St. Johnston and Ross County, but against us, maybe more of a 5-3-2. Is there anything, first of all, that you can expect to be unexpected against us, or is it just them going again, trying the same master plan, because it's almost worked in the past? Yes. You know, I've, I've had a little look at them against teams like, say, Ross County, St. Johnston, mostly are there. It's the same formation. You know, it's it's a five three two. Um, you know what you're gonna get. You're gonna get the two strikers and the tree in the midfield is kinda shuffling over. So if the ball's on one hand on one side, they'll all be on that side of the pitch and then they'll sprint over to the other side. You got to do wing backs, so you go some Celtic swingers, and then as we've talked about, these uh, mystical wide centre backs who jumps up into the midfield line to kind of make it a four. So what you see is what you get. With summer in it, but I guess maybe we'll come to a couple of the surprises in terms of the lineup. Did you have Tony Watt now? No, 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 no. And he is the worst presser of the ball 
in Scottish football. So I'm excited about that because the boy doesn't run unless he's got the ball or the ball is just, you know, coming to him. So we're interested to see his, <laughs> you know, pressing, um, I would say, effort on, on Sunday. And also I've sent you a few videos of uh, Thierry Small, mm. an 18-year-old uh, Loney from Southampton, who's been playing the last few games at left wing back. And, you know, he's, he's small by name, pretty big, pretty quick by nature and uh, quite tricky as well. So I think that's the kind of two players we probably haven't seen before. But other than that, hey, five three two baby. It's They've gone from, uh, funnily enough, they've gone from tiny Tancer at left wing back to Terry Small. So there's, there's a theme there. That's the sort of thing you bring to the preview, Graham. And I'm, I'm glad you're here. Just, just left a gap there for the the audience laugh, so they don't miss the next <laughs> part. So Tony Watt, obviously, we we know a lot about Tony Watt. We, we, the problem we had against St. Man was that the two forwards were pressing so well against us, and they were stopping us, especially the game at Love, not Love Street, but the game at Unlove Street, Hate Street, yes, yes. where Paisley. Yeah, where we had many problems trying to kind of break through coming up from the back. That the, the front two were really causing it, causing us a lot of problems. Even in the counter attack, it was it was kind of hard going. Curtis Main all of a sudden looked like a world beater, uh, despite having seen that clip where he, he just pies it into the stand against Hibs, was it? That's uh, right. So if Tony Watt is going to be in there, and the evidence is now that he's up to speed, I think he started the last two games for St. Man. Is is that going to make things a bit easier for us? Um, I, I don't know how aggressive the, the front two is. I think that the front two in, the, in these kind of systems are more positional and they're, they're kind of a little bit wide. They're kind of stopping the centre-backs from taking the ball out and, you know, making it a little bit harder to, I guess, to find the midfield tree. I, I think it's with some mirror I mean, it's an interesting. I've sent you some notes, obviously, just to, just to ten pages this time. But mm-hmm. it's, I think, the issues from the first game in Paisley and and ironically the five one uh, Celtic Park as well were, were much of the same in terms of Celtic's come up against this kind of five three two against most teams this season, and I think in parts in the game in uh, Paisley, but also for a large part of that cup game. This is probably the, the best any of the domestic teams in Scotland have executed against Celtic and, and the most trouble they're giving Celtic. And I think you know, and there's a few reasons for why they do that, but I think it's a lot to do with their hackness between the lines, mm. that they are, they don't fall too far back. And and there is uh there's not much space between the lines, especially wasn't that uh Paisley. And they have very aggressive views of sometimes the wing backs as well, actually, but but the centre backs are very aggressive. The mid the the person in the midfield tree is usually the one tasked with jumping up on Cal McGregor. So there's you know there's been a few different uh players in that role. I think it was Hahn in, in the 4 0, it was Gojic in, in the 5 1. I think if you go all the way back to the first game, obviously it was, it was Aaron Moy there. That's uh, why that was not Cal McGregor was the number eight. And it's kind of kind of slightly similar to do what John Lindstrom tried to do. Um, 
against Kel McGregor there just at the weekend. Oh, and he's else. Yes, exactly. There's a couple of differences. First difference is some American players bigger physical capability than John Lundstrom. And also they they can kind of sacrifice, if you want to call it that, that midfield to jump up on Callum McGregor because one, the, the space between the strikers and the midfield line is very short, but they do have that, you know, they have an extra centre-back who will jump up and be a midfielder as well. But but that, none of these things are easy, but over over the course of those two games, most of the 5-1 game at least, Samarin did it really, really effectively. Um, but then I guess you come back to the other point around those two games was... Celtics midfield and the composition of that midfield tree. And I feel like we're always picking on them, but Aaron Moy and David Turnbull started both those games. And as we talked about before, I think you can do one of them in terms of if you have another number eight, and if it be Tati O'Reilly, who's got more on the legs and maybe a bit more direct, playing two of them, I think that's shown in both these games against a really good block become difficult, but both I don't expect it to be David Turnbull and Aaron Boy on, on, on Sunday at least. If only it could be, and I'm going to point to the March calendar, uh, Abogard, if only yes. we bring him in for this game, that would be, that'd be ideal. But one thing I've noticed from the, the stuff you've sent me is that some runs seem to be overperforming when it comes to the points versus the expected points. It looks to me as if they're just just short of five points better off than, than they should be, quote-unquote. We have kind of built Love Street or Paisley up to be this almost like the way that we built Livingston up to be, where yeah. it, there's this kind of like monkey on our back. Do you think, are some men overrated? Is it a case of if Celtic turn up, get the right players on the pitch, then it should be a case of walking over them? Do you have any fears that there's maybe a psychological element to this game now and the fact that we have struggled against it, man, even in the games that we've ended up winning? What, what do you what do you expect going into this game, especially coming off such the high of a, a cup final where there might be some complacency coming in? Do you have any fear for this weekend? I don't really have any fears in terms of complacency or any sort of, you know, mental aspect of, of that monkey of the back, you know, people will talk about because it's the only place something have lost this season domestically. But they also the game we haven't talked about is the 4 0 game, which for at least the first half is one of you know, we talked about it on the review. Um one of Celtics best half this season, bar none, I think, in terms of Summer and tried to do what they've always tried to do, but I, I think it just really clicked. For Celtic that day, I think, you know, you had Riha Tate, Matt O'Reilly, both in good form. You have Kobayashi, who was, you know, kind of an unknown element there, was passing the ball quite nice and quickly. And they were, and he had some you know, great individual performances on the night, like Hatate's passing and Kyogo and, and so on. So, and it wasn't like Samarin didn't try to do something different, that they tried to replicate what they'd done before. They just couldn't do it. So, yeah, no. The short answer there is, Graham, is, is yes. I think if Celtic keep doing what they're doing, they, they have the, the players to to kind of fit into and execute what they need to do within the system, Celtic will grind and grind and grind on them, you know, grind it down eventually. It, it is interesting. Like People say, ah, oh, it's a smaller pitch. 
Right? It's just a small pitch. And I always wonder, like, how much smaller can it be? Mm-hmm. Right, this is I, I'm no expert here, but surely it's not that it's not like you're playing on a five side pitch, right? Mm-hmm. And it's and I think a lot I, I purely speculate, I think a lot do have to do is our I guess depth like the vision, like because Celtic Park is it's a big stadium. But the cameras are, are really high up. Mm-hmm. Like that's a pitch that look a lot bigger with, with the stands and stuff. So especially with St. Mary's camera angle, which I'm not, you know. Looking forward to watching twice. Um, it does feel smaller, but I, I just wonder, like, how narrow is it? Because it's obviously like specific. You have to have a minimum uh, length and width. So, um, can you go and check that, Grant? Is there somewhere you can go and check how much smaller the pictures? Because uh, so Wikipedia <laughs> has St. Mun Park. Are we doing this live? Okay, we're yeah. doing this live. I've got it up already. St. Mun Park Park has been 105 meters by 68 meters. Okay, well, that's your standard football pitch. Google Celtic Park, then. This, this is good podcasting now. Celtic Park. Had dimensions. So we had 105 and 68. We should have maybe done it in uh, the metric for... Uh, yeah. What was that, no metric? That's metric. We, we shouldn't have done it in metric for the... No, we should. This <laughs> is the only system that makes any sort of sense. But for some reason, my, my computer has defaulted to the German Wikipedia article for, uh, for Celtic Park, so I can tell okay. you officially that the Spielflacher yeah. is 105 times 68 meters as well. It sounds like they're just like put to your standard football pitch there up there. Yeah, I don't think they've measured this. Also, teams can change it, surely. Teams can bring in the lines. Yeah, but, but no, that's, that's, that's a retention. But in terms of if some are overrated, so... Stephen Russell trademark, uh, expected points table trademark, um, has them in seventh place. But again, it's as we talked about before, that's it's a really, really tight table. I mean, he's got three expected points up to Harch in fourth. Um, I think what you've probably seen with some is that their XG, the, the goal difference is actually worse than their XG difference for Stevens, but they have been able to convert, I guess, a few more games that were quite tightened into points. Um, it's quite interesting looking at their shop map um, on the stuff I've sent you as well. They've got six goals from outside uh, the penalty box. One of them is the, the goalkeeper uh, going up for a corner. The other one is a one-on-one, but I think you got two long shots and two freaks, free kicks from that as well. And that's kind of stuff like those kind of low, getting those low XG chances getting you know turned into to goals help. Um, and so on, but I mean, St. Mirren has, if you look a little bit deeper at the stats, yeah, they may be outperforming a little bit on expected points, but I think they're roughly the same way they, they need to be, and they've done it really, really clear style. Because always I sent you like the, the stats league ranking where we kind of rank the teams um, in different categories, and the one that pops out for me is obviously. St. Mary's possession because they have the second fewest passes per game. They had the lowest pass rate, like in terms of passes completed, the lowest in the league. In terms of overall possession, second lowest. The amount of seconds they use per possession, second lowest. Even the, some of the pressing stats like PPDA, like passes uh, allowed per defensive action, bottom of the league. Um, the average seconds. Per possession, their opposition have second longest. 
um, and like it's like the pressing stats. The only pressing stat they're really good at is winning balls in the opposition half. They're, they're sixth, so you go like this is a team that you know they don't have the ball much and they go direct, but it's not like they have lots of lucky results because pretty much every single stat we have of like the locals says so this team is is definitely like mid table like xg created sixth shots fourth mm. like Samarian so has the fourth most shots in the league with the second fewest passes right um getting into the opposition staff and control of the ball uh, final third penalty was like sixth fifth fifth if you look at defensively xg conceded like third like shots conceded fourth like and Teams getting into their penalty box and control of the ball fifth. So it's a very clear style that produces good results defensively and offensively. It's been working against um, you know other teams uh, other than Celtic, but even against Celtic, their style is being adopted in such a way that it's it's overall has has been pretty effective. And yeah, they've they've got some a little bit of the bounce of the ball. I mean, the two and L is. Uh, pace is a good example of it. They have three shots, you know. Um, but you know, this is uh, a team with a clear playing style that is like yielding results, and with a little bit of bounce of the ball this season, that to, to take them up to, to where they are on the table. Essentially, would you like to see with the, with the cup final in mind and like the kind of um, mental stress that takes some players, and uh, obviously the the evening off that Ange gave them with the, the Monday off, um, the pictures of CCV having a beer, for example, would you be looking to see some kind of element of freshness coming into the, the starting 11? Or do you think it's make sure you get your best 11 in the park and get them to go again? I guess with Celtic is that I don't think there's just one best 11. So we, I think you are looking at... You know, so, someone like Matt O'Reilly, who didn't play uh, or didn't start, I think this is a good game for him to, to come into that pitch and, and try and do something. And then I guess the only question for me is then Pio Hattati. If If you give him a break, which I don't think Ange will, I think, you know, because he's not going to arrest Cal McGregor. You could maybe see in the Ivata or McGregor and stuff, but not to be honest, I've, I think you have to show this, like the respect. In some ways, that's just not a platitude. But this is a team that can cause you difficulties. It's a team that, while they play that five three two formation, they've, they've done it so far better than most other teams Celtics have faced. So I, just, I want to see at least in the midfield, McGregor, O'Reilly, Hatati. I, I think this is the kind of game for them. You know, we talked a lot about Aramoy, his strengths and weaknesses. I think the way. Samarian play their block in, in how aggressive they can be, how little space they have between the lines. Like, Armoy is going to get a lot less time and space between the lines against Samarian than he did against Rangers on Sunday, right? So, if only we had Glenn Kamara on the, I, on the pitch. Well, exactly. Um, but we can't be so lucky every week. So, I, I think this is the type of game where you, you need those three big runners in midfield. And then you can look at, you know, Front tree, which would be interesting. Like I think Kyogo starts, but Aksabanovich, for example, um, could come in. I wouldn't mind that too much. Um, and then, 
I mean, I can't. I just can't see him changing the back four. Can you? You know, I, I really liked Kobayashi the last time. Oh, I, I just don't see anything like that happening. I think, and, and to be honest, like for me, this is more about the movement in midfield and what the fullbacks do rather than the, the centre backs trying to, to play out. Because I think with the two in front, you know, the, the centre backs will have options to send it wide. Maybe find Cal McGregor in the middle as well. So. I think the question is whether he plays, you know, the damageful tree, really. So you highlighted uh, Terry Small, and you sent me four videos of him, all very attacking, uh, left wing back play, looking very comfortable in the ball, looking fast, uh, looking skillful. Do you think when when Ange sets up against a team like St. Mun, he would be noticing a player like Terry Small and then making sure that his right hand side? is a right-hand side that would be able to respond to someone like that? Or do you think it's a case of Ange would be looking just to kind of impose our style of play on the opposition, no matter where it is? And with that in mind, do you think that there is a kind of... Um, a, t- a right-hand side that you would rather play against a player that is, has the kind of skills like Terry, Terry Small clearly has? No, I, I don't think Ange would look at if I say any player like that, let alone like an I guess an eighteen year old alone from self that one to go, we have to change something. I think the system will be the same, but Celtic will have a very comprehensive opposition analysis. And the and the players on the right hand side probably get a you know a lowdown on on very, very small and what he can bring in it's some of his qualities. But I think that's more of saying look have a look at this guy. This is what he's doing. But within that, you know, Celtics is still going to have the ball 70% of the time. So I think it's more about the players who will be picked to produce Celtic system the best, being made aware of that rather than trying to adapt it to that. I mean, I, I don't mean more like, I don't mean more like a system or a formation change. I mean more like if, you, if you're going up against an agricultural player like Tansa, for example, then you try and maybe impose your will and if you're going up against someone who's maybe skillful and has an attacking threat do you perhaps look at the players you're going to play on the right hand side and say well I'm not going to play player A instead I'll play player B in the same system yeah and I guess it's the thing if you if you want to consider like the attacking threat of somebody like very small I guess you also then look at the defensive yeah the defensive job of the right winger how they can do but also how they occupy you know, and how you best come up against that. So, and he's, he's physically strong. He's, you know, he's, he's got that speed. So it, I think it does require that the, you know, the, the winger specifically on, on that side will need to do the defensive work and need to be, you know, prepared for that. And uh, I don't know. I mean, if you talk about the, like the wing backs, a Celtic have kind of meet in these kind of domestic games. They're usually not like the most agricultural of them um, or the fastest. So I, I think someone like this is, you, know, you, you can look at him and this is might be, you know, something you want to consider. But I also think like the 18, you know, you, you're also thinking about positioning. Was that left wing back? I, I sent you a screenshot from the St. Johnston game where, um, there's the, the Johnson's left wing back actually who has the ball on the St. Johnson's left hand side. 
and then you can see the midfield tree. St. Johnston, you know, the furthest away is still inside, you know, well into the center circle on St. Mary's right-hand side. So we that the right wing back that St. Johnston has more than half the pitch completely free. And you can see, actually, Thierry is more right on the edge. So that's, he's kind of jumping up. He's not sure if he's going to jump up or not. So you're going to have a situation in this game where Samarin will go all the way over to one side with all the midfielders and all the strikers. You can have someone like Greg Taylor ping the ball over to the right-hand side. So I think it's those kind of situations you want to put Fieri in small in and say, okay, he has to make a decision with his limited experience. Should I jump out? Should I jump out sooner? If he jumps up too soon, can you get behind him and so on? So I think it's more around how you kind of exploit that. But I think it's all going to be the same system in terms of that. We know that, and you've highlighted it before on this beautiful 10-page document you've sent me and yes. on the review that we've done, I've sent a few times, that they love their boxes. Oh, yeah. I love a good box. Remind the listener what you mean by Sitman and their boxes and what is the number one thing that Celtic need to do to get past these boxes? I think this is something you saw, especially in uh, in on uh, not on Love Street. Um so in these kind of attacks, I think what Samir has been quite good at is to when Celtic say they Attacking down the left hand side, and you've got the winger, the fullback, and the number eight. If they go quite wide, quite deep, Samarians have been good at kind of using a box of four players to essentially box them in. So, so they're using their wing back, their wide centre back, and two of the central midfielders to kind of create a four against three in those situations. Like really quickly, say there's a couple of examples here, like I think it's David, uh, Greg Taylor who has the ball. No, it's David Turnbull who has the ball right out on the left-hand side. Jota is a bit further up at winger. Greg Taylor is trying to make a run. But some reasons basically have, have this block of four. And what other teams, and you know, there's a couple of other teams who does this quite well as well. Behind that block of four, you have the middle centre-back and then the last central midfielder, like a line of two behind them. So you almost have this, almost turning into a rectangle of six players that when Celtic try to, to attack those down the left, they do that. So I think it's a lot to do about if Celtic attack too slowly. And in this example, where they both David Turnbull and Jota is on the same kind of vertical line, and there's not enough movement, then of runners coming in like between fullback, wing back and centre back and two centre backs. Essentially, if it gets too static, if the play is a bit slow, you end up out wide. And then Samaria not really good at just boxing in with lots of players. And I think it is a consequence, as I said. If we talked a lot about this with uh, David Turnbull in the last Samaria game, where he was just making runs. And they've started to build a play a bit too late. So he was kind of reviving in those positions a bit too late. So he didn't trigger a movement after him. And he doesn't really make the runs to Hatate and O'Reilly does, and even to some extent Moy does. So if you do that, end up a bit static. He kind of seeks ball out left. And then once you out wide, not much speed, Samarin can just set up and box you in. 
And if they have one, two more players, then it's going to be difficult to get past them. And and Samarin was very good at this uh, at the away game, and they were really good at this in in the five one as well. Um, but I think it's all the key. It's the speed in the build up. It's kind of arriving in those spaces two, three seconds sooner. It's like getting beyond that midfield tree a bit sooner and not seeking the ball in front of the midfield tree, but you know, kind of create that. Try to move them around, like kind of when you get into their half. And because once you've like in the middle of the half and they're settled, sometimes it's just too late and they just fall down into this block and in, in the box. Oh, fast movement, fast passing. That's us. We win 17. Pass and move. To the Liverpool Grove. Yes. Win for the old folk out there. Oh, I, am, I am one of them. So. so I'm going to ask you for a major prediction here. So after this game on Sunday, yes. Celtic will have six games until the split. Two of them are only two of them away from home, Ross County and Kilmarnock. Four home games, which means when we go into the split, we'll probably have three away games and two home. If we beat St. Man, have Celtic won the league? I think well, I think Celtic's won the league anyway, to be honest with you. Yeah, but I think I it, it maybe it's, it's like the psychological effect of the same, like the Livingston game last season was maybe a little bit similar, although Celtic was in a little bit more stickier position and the, the gap wasn't that big, but it kind of feels a bit similar. And, and that is something to just had to take off and, and get over. And, and to be fair, after that, it, it, quite, it went quite well. Um, I, I think we probably put more stuff, emphasis on these things than within the squad, but yeah, I reckon with inside the club as well, there'll be a few goals. Yeah, and that's that's you know what we needed to do. And on paper, at least, it seems like one of the like the big challenges that are left um, in, in terms of the league. So um, that was a really long way the way of saying yes, Graham. So the calf, you should just give them the trophy on Sunday. There you go. You heard it here first. Man away on Sunday is a final hub though. From two in a row. So, Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I've joined you here on the preview, and I'll preview, see you yes. on Tuesday for the review. On the review on Tuesday. Uh, yes, I'll see what we're talking about. Sand Mirren. And Dirt Boxes. Great stuff from Christian and Graham. That's all the details you need to kind of think about um, St. Mirren. But we're going to have a give our own kind of points of view. Um, how are you feeling going into this game? Pretty okay. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I haven't given it a huge amount of thought. It feels like one of those games that comes up. I'll be there watching it on Sunday. Um, and I, I, I don't want to sound complacent because you never want to sound complacent but it just feels like a game that we can win that we should win that there's another big game happening on Sunday that I'm more focused on fair enough yeah <laughs> um so yeah in terms of uh, this isn't very analytical at all I just I feel quite confident um yeah I, I mean the, the only issue I have is you know the fact that you know we mentioned this in the weekly as well like um you know the fact that they're the only team to beat us this season uh, at their home term, at their home turf. Um, so there is a little bit of trepidation from my point of view, but I also think that you know after winning the league cup final um, and we, recent form, we also have beaten them. So. Yeah, but, I mean we've beaten them twice in the last two, but we didn't. We've not beat them on their 
home turf. It's a smaller pitch. It's a bit yeah. tighter, yeah, all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I you know I don't want to go over old ground, but you know it was you know the lineup. But lineup wise, what what would you be looking for? Well. Let me talk you through it. Okay, no. <laughs> I'm not expecting to see from and very many changes. I think, you know, in terms of rotating the squad, he's not doing that an awful lot at the moment. And I think, although I was thinking, as I was thinking about this question for the podcast, what about we throw Haxabanovich into the mix? Love it. I'm in. I'm in. 100%. That's, the, that's the thing I'd like to see. Um, so what would your midfield be? And also Matt O'Reilly over Moy. Okay. Give him, give, give him a start. That's what I'd like to see. So back five, usually the same, yeah? Uh, yeah. No problem. Same, same. Uh, McGregor, Hatati, Matt O'Reilly. There we go. And the forward line of Kyogo, Haksabanovic. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. Um, I think, you know, Haksabanovic in the, that sort of kind of tighter pitch where basically he has to take players one-on-one, you know, he's... You know, it's, it's a, we've mentioned it before, it's like you've got a toolbox um, and for every different situation, uh, you use whatever kind of tool will unlock the defences and I think Haxabanovich is, is definitely that guy. Yep, so um, I agree with, well, I agree with myself. <laughs> uh, predictions? <laughs> predictions. 3-0. Uh, Beautiful. I'm going to go... Um, I'm going to go three nil as well. Haksabanovic hat trick, and uh, he'll, he's actually going to assist himself if you can believe it. I don't know how that works, but he'll assist himself. Uh, but yeah, now looking forward to the game uh, on Sunday. Um, we'll obviously have a reaction after that. The reaction panel that week, uh, that for this game will be myself, Christopher Sermani, and Paul Carlin. So uh, an absolute joy. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, the other big game that Celtic have this week, uh, this weekend, uh, Celtic FC Women versus Glasgow City. Claire Wilde, can you explain the stakes of this game? The stakes are high, friends. So um, anyone who listens to the Celtic Women's Football Show or follows women's football in Scotland in any capacity will know that the league, the SWPL, comprises the top three teams and then there's a bit of a gap with between the rest and the top three are Glasgow City, Celtic and Rangers. We obviously beat Rangers on Friday, so that's good. We are currently sitting second... Um, I think what happens on Sunday, if we beat Glasgow City, we end up top of the table on goal difference, which is huge Yeah, going into the split. I think we've got this game and one other league game before we have the split announced, which is where the league is top six and bottom six. So it's just the same as the men's game? Yeah. yeah. Um, but this is the first time that it's happened in the women's game. So it's exciting and we don't know how that's going to work. And you know, obviously all those points at stake post split, but it means that this game has an awful lot riding on it in terms of, in one sense it does. In another sense, if we draw, if we lose, we still stay ahead of Rangers. Yeah. Um, And we still stay in second and there's still a huge amount to play for. It's just that they, we want to, the margins are so fine in the women's game. And there's these three teams competing for the top spot and, we want to just keep that edge. Yeah, keep the kind of momentum from from Friday going. Obviously, we had a yeah. game on Wednesday, which you attended as well, in which Celtic won seven nil. Yeah, against Hamilton. Hamilton. Nikes, yeah. Um, in re- in regards to um, the points, how many points are we ahead of Rangers? Um, we are currently, so we're four points ahead of Rangers. So even with a loss, we still remain one point but ahead what that, of them. If, you know, how many points are Glasgow City ahead of us? Three. So if we did, you know, lose, then Glasgow City kind of, we, we're still staying second, but Glasgow City kind of take a mm-hmm. bit of a, a, you know, a gap. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. They take a stride forward, which would not be ideal. We do, We definitely, obviously we don't want them to beat us, but we really definitely don't want them to beat us. We can't really take a loss. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we should highlight that second place uh, gets into the Champions League qualifying at least, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, huge, especially when it comes to the women's game where there's, you know, not a lot of money being ploughed yeah. into it. So any Euro- European competition is really important. I mean, it's a bit premature to talk about this at this point, but we're obviously watching it. So, I'm watching it so closely week by week. Um, but but I mean, in the grand scheme yeah. of things, it is just still about taking it game by game. The fact that, you know, Glasgow City haven't been able to beat Rangers this season. We are the only team who've d- managed to do it and managed to do it by a significant margin. That should give us a huge amount of confidence going in. And I would like to think this is a team that has kind of shown previously, especially after Christmas in pr- seasons before, where we've had a bit of wind in our sails we have been able to kind of capitalize on that and like go on a bit of a run and i'm just hoping that that's what we do yeah i, I couldn't agree more um you know uh, we actually have a question from uh, david uh let me just see um I mean, it's not specifically related to Sunday's game. Uh, David <laughs> McClemont messaged and said, with the rumours that Jacinta and Carol Starfield are dating, do we have to take a long-term approach and offer a contract to their potential offspring? <laughs> this could be a long-term solution to our search for a ball-playing centre half. Um, yes. <laughs> Has it ever been done before? <laughs> uh, well, you know, there are, they are signing players at like 12 and 13 these days. So. Um but yeah, obviously, like if you don't have a kind of uh, great knowledge of the women's team, there are certain players who do kind of stand out. You know, Caitlin Hayes is very much obviously Kelly. Kelly's the Scotland, uh, the Celtic captain. She's done a lot of kind of media stuff. Um, uh, Caitlin Hayes has been kind of in the news and on the Celtic View podcast, which was great to see. Um, you know, she scored two goals last week. You know, she's um, some real mainstay of the team. She's fantastic. Uh, Jacinta's probably the other one. Yeah, Jacinta's probably the one that people know and recognise. Um, she has had such a good season. I think she won Player of the Year last season. And I think those of us who followed the game were a bit confused by it, not because she's not good, but just because it was. she's been exceptional this season. Um, her game has come on leaps and bounds. And she's also got people playing around her that she's forming these amazing link-ups with. We've got um, Shen Meng Lu, who has just been incredible, and they are playing really well together. Amy Gallagher as well, who came from Hibs to play with us this season, has been fantastic. I mean, this is a really exciting team to watch. This is one of those things I said on the women's football show this week and sort of observed after the game on Friday that... You know, it's it's there's a parallel with the the men's game in that this is an exciting Celtic team to yeah. watch. There are footballers that you that entertain, whereas you don't kind of get that from the Rangers side. I think there's probably a little bit more dynamism in this Glasgow City side that we're going to face on Sunday, and we're going to have to figure out how to um, sort of work around that. They've also got some new players that we, we've got new players, but they've got some new players who look quite threatening. Yes. So that will be interesting to see. You know, it's funny because see when a Celtic game is on Alba or a Celtic game is, is available, um, if you look at kind of like Twitter, not trends, but like if you look at like how much more engagement and interaction there is, um, if, if, if people can watch the game, they will watch the game. Mm. Um, and obviously the Celtic uh, men's team play um, 12 o'clock on Sunday. Um and that by the time that's done, the the Celtic FC women's team play at ten past four. Talk us through the details. Ten past four. Ten past four kickoff. Excelsior Stadium in Airdrie. 
I would advise if you are planning to come along, do first of all. And <laughs> second of all, um, there's always a bit of a, can you pay on the gate or not situation? So there's a link that we've shared. There's a link that the club has shared to buying tickets. Just get your ticket beforehand. It just makes everything easier. There was a huge crowd on Friday. Friday night football is where it's at, by the way. Absolutely. Big fan of that. Um, But this is Sunday afternoon, but there's plenty of time should be to at least get from Glasgow to Airdrie after the game at 12 to watch it. Um, Yeah. Be there or be square. And it's on a BBC Alba. There was 1,600 people there last week, um, which is really, really good. And it'd be good if we could get the sort of um, kind of average games. Mm. I mean, this is a big game. Glasgow City is a big game. Is, is it as an attractive game as Rangers? No, because Rangers are Rangers. But um, this is the this is the big one. This is the the one that if we win it, I'm you know I'm buzzing a wee bit. You're thinking yeah, about yeah. it. So yeah, um, if you're if you're thinking about going along, please head along. Claire will be there. Lorenzo will be there. A few others. Unfortunately, I won't be able to go because I need to do the reaction. But I will definitely be watching on television and cheering along. Um, what what would you like to see from this uh, from the Celtic team? Have, have you got a kind of lineup uh, that you'd like to see? I certainly have, of course. Talk me through it. Um, I would like to see our regular. We we always play a back three. Um. Glasgow City likely to play a back four. Uh, we will have Caitlin Hayes, Kelly Clark and Claire O'Riordan, which is kind of becoming our standard. main yeah. mainstay standard back three. Um, he did some crazy things on Wednesday. He su- subbed Olivia Chance in, in Claire O'Riordan's position on the left. <laughs> but, you know, we won 7-0, so hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, exactly, don't yeah. question Fran. Um, I think we're going to have, we, we have... Players out wide, Hannah on the right, Hannah Kerner, who's a new signing, who I think is going to make that position her own. Um, she really grew into the game against Rangers. So I think that will give her a lot of confidence and she's got speed and determination. So happy to see her start. I think on the left, we'd have Lou, who had a bit of a weird game on Wednesday, but she'd done an awful lot of work in the game on the weekend and she can do things with the football. She's one of the exciting players to watch. And I think I that think she'll give, yeah. I think she'll give Glasgow City a lot of trouble. Um, she kind of, she plays on that wide left side, but she's really good at coming right up, right up to the goal and kind of moving in, in a really tricky way that kind of surprises defenders and gets the ball. To she's a bit like James Forrest to put it in a men's perspective, but James, peak James Forrest. Yeah. Um, I think in, uh, to make up the midfield, I want Lisa Robertson and Natalie Ross. I think you put your experienced, so, like both excellent players, Natalie in particular, having an excellent season. But Lisa, like you Solid. trust her with your life. So put her in there. We've talked about this front three before. Amy Gallagher, Tash Flint and Jacinta in some kind of formation. Yeah. <laughs> so it depends how he decides to do things against Glasgow City. He might change things up. We like Amy sitting a little bit further behind the front two. Um, Tash, I think the verdict, the jury is still out on Tash. I think she's had some really, really good moments. And I think... She's struggled a little bit. She's struggled. She, I think when we were watching her... Against Rangers, she just wasn't making some of the runs that we were expecting her to and the runs that we've seen other players make. And you forget, you realise how used you are to seeing us play in a certain kind of way when a player comes on and so kind of immediately doesn't fit into that system. Yeah. Um, but I think she's definitely got quality and I think that she'll, 
you know, she hasn't played against Glasgow City before and she'll be well up for this game. Completely agree. Um, that kind of, basically it's like a 3-4-3, three, three, essentially, um, with that front three of Amy Gallagher, uh, Jacinta and Tash Flynn. Let's, uh, let's rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, let's get, the, we're cooking nicely. Um, prediction? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remain optimistic. Good. 2-0. I'm going to remain more optimistic, 3-0. I think we're going to keep a clean sheet in both games. I think we're going to go score three goals. Um, and I actually think in the women's game, I actually think Haksabanovic is going to score three of the goals. Um, is he going to assist himself? He's going it? to assist himself. <laughs> uh, no, 3-0, uh, um, looking forward to, as we say, um, it's a, it really is. If you've never been to, to watch the Celtic women's team, it's a real joy. You're amongst, you know, people who really care about the team. And if you don't know anything, you always find people... You can ask questions and people will answer and stuff. Yeah. And Claire and Lorenzo will be there, a bunch of other folk as well. So um, it's available if you want to watch it on BBC Alba as well, if you can't get along to a game. So um, give it a watch and, uh, yeah, Celtic FC women, we love it. Um, St. Menon versus Celtic, 12pm uh, on Sunday. Celtic FC women versus Glasgow City, uh, 10 past four on Sunday as well. Uh, a huge Sunday of football, so love it. Can't wait for it. From a cynic perspective, uh, we've got two podcasts for you this weekend. Uh, we've got, On Saturday, tomorrow, we've got another episode of Faithful Through and Through. I spoke to uh, the guys at um, Romanian Celtic Supporters Club. Uh, a really fantastic talk um, with Danny. Um, so listen out for that. It drops tomorrow. And uh, a real joy to record. And I'm sure everyone will have a nice time listening to it. And on Sunday, we've got the reaction to the St Mirren game. It'll be myself, uh, Paul Carlin, and uh, Christopher Sermani. Uh, any final thoughts, Claire, before we go to fact or fiction? No, I'm excited for fact or fiction. Great stuff. Okay, fact or fiction to finish off the podcast. I asked two questions, and you state if they're fact or fiction and why. Question number one. Both Celtic sides will be champions this year. Fact or fiction? Uh, fact. Why? Of course. Tell me through it. What me through? This it. is this is well. I I think the men's team is well on course to be champions this year. I can't really see it going any other way at this point. And I think we've talked about how tight it is for the women's team. This is our year, though. This is the one we're gonna. You know, everything's gonna click. Everything's gonna come together. And after the split, we're gonna go. We're gonna go. Be on fire. Go on a run. Great stuff. Um, love it. Uh, Celtic FC, question number two. Celtic FC women will do a League and Cup double. Yeah. See, last question. <laughs> well, fact or fiction? Can you, can fact. you stick, stick Sorry, to those, fact, please? Fact. Fact. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we are kind of cup specialists in a way because we've, you know, obviously we did the double. Um, so, yeah, I... Good fact. I'm in. I'm in. I'd love to. I'd love Celtic FC women to win the league and then have a big kind of cup final. Yeah, and like the, the last, the cup finals that we played last season that we won, we did a cup double last season. Were two of the best footballing experiences I've had. Like f lots and lots of people there, like really emotional, like drama, folk being sent off, extra time, and still coming through to you know. I will never forget Izzy Atkinson's last minute goal. Fantastic. Uh, this has been the weekend update, getting you ready for the weekend. As we say, St. Man versus Celtic, Celtic FC Women versus Glasgow City. Um, 
what a weekend we've got ahead. Claire Wilde, pleasure as always. Thank you for having me. We'll hear you next on the Celtic Women's Football Show. That's correct. And uh, I'm Chris Gallagher from Claire Wilde and from myself. This has been the Weekend Update and we'll speak to you down the road. (laughs) 